Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I host an interview series called Kyle Meredith With, where I talk to legendary musicians, up-and-coming artists, and whatever that is in between. I dive deep into the making of new albums, stories behind songs, and seeing which band I can get to reunite. Will it be Zeppelin, Genesis, Roxy Music, or Pavement? You've got to listen to find out. It's Kyle Meredith With from WFPK Independent Louisville and the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow, science, science and, and superstition. superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're not imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the fifth dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound. And once again, we're here with another misadventure in Jordan Peele's revival of The Twilight Zone for CBS All Access. Today, we're talking about Point of Origin, written by John Griffin and directed by Matthias Herndl. But before we eat some ice cream, let's introduce our round of co-hosts with me in the zone. All the way out to Mount Prospect, Illinois, we've got... Matt Mellis, the editorial director of Consequence of Sound. And um, since my maid is not working tonight, you know what that means for dinner? Grubhub. Yes. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Grubhub, just like the episode itself was sponsored by Grubhub. That's not true. Grubhub is not paying us any money, although I would love it because I use we Grubhub. We order from them, what, four or five times a week? Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Grubhub, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I want to get my uh, you know, my cozy noodles paid for on a, on a weekly basis. Matt, do you use Grubhub ever? No, I've never used... I mean, all the I use Grubhub all the time. And remember, Grubhub, only the first one's free. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Eleanor, do you use uh, Grubhub? Um, what's Grubhub? Oh, my God. Just kidding. Just kidding. You've never I heard think of Grubhub? that answers the question. Yeah. She uses it all the time. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm here in the studio. It's, it's a little lonely in here, Matt, because you're not here. Uh, you're, you're, you're far out. I am in another part of the fifth dimension, uh, <laughs> sort of the suburbs of the fifth dimension, because my rocket ship... Um, decided that it's front suspension and power <laughs> steering, because rocket ships have power steering, of yes, course. Yes, they do. Uh, of course. It decided to die on me. Um, so I am stranded out on a meteor 
or a distant planet and uh, just hoping to see um, some forms of life again at some point. Well, while we are talking about point of origin, it seems as if you found your point of contact, Matt, because uh, <laughs> you're not lost out there. You're talking to us for sure. And while we're out there, let's just introduce our other co-host that's out in the zone um, that's uh, that's not in this studio right now with uh, Sammy and I. Yeah, I'm Eleanor, and I'm also joining by long-distance call, if you will. Is it balmy in Florida? Uh, it was pretty yeah, humid today, yes. <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow night. Yes, because we're flying. We're going to have a nightmare at... Uh, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet tomorrow night. Let's hope we see no gremlins yeah, tomorrow exactly. night. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be flying to South Florida and we're going to enjoy that balmy heat ourselves. And who are you, by the way? Oh, this is Samantha Kuykendall. Oh yeah. my God. How about uh, that? I'm stranded in here in the fifth stranded? dimension with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that. It feels good in here, though, because we got some cool Halloween lights. And by cool, I mean spooky. We love some spooky shit. Yeah, we do. I love spooky stuff. and um, Which I, brings us, you know. I'd say this is a spooky episode a spooky for sure. Yet. And uh, before we get into the episode, we got to do one thing. I need a synopsis. And the only person I can get it from is Matt Mellis. Put some pants on and tell us the synopsis of Point of Origin. Why does everyone assume when I'm in a different part of the fifth dimension, I'm not wearing pants? Why is that? Because I wouldn't be wearing pants. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not wearing pants. Fairly. You're not wrong. I'm just wondering why people assume it. But here we go. So Point of Origin. We have a suburban housewife. Who wants to go home, but where and what is home really? Oh, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's a short, short one. Short and sweet. C- CBS all access to that one. Like I said, my rocket ship's been in the shop. What the hell are you going to do? <laughs> well, what if you could order, you know, once we do actually have space travel, I wonder if Grubhub is actually going to take part in that. That's got to be the first thing that happens. Uh, I is, hope so. Is delivery. Yes. Yeah. Because we are, as a society, incredibly fucking lazy. So. I mean, first robo vending machines, then delivery. Oh, like in um, uh, Red Dwarf, which is another great sci-fi <laughs> show. Uh, uh, they Ooh. have a vending machine where you can get meals, and um, Chicken Vindaloo is uh, Lister's favorite, and I love Chicken Vindaloo. Or his cat likes more fish. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes. More fish. More fish. <laughs> you sound a little tongue-tied there. Well, we've already mentioned some uh, stars and souls of Red Dwarf, but now, <laughs> but now it's time to talk about some stars and souls of the Twilight Zone. You walk into this room at your own risk, because it leads to the future. Not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. Now again, in this section, we like to talk about who's behind the camera and who's in front of the camera. This week, behind the camera, we've got writer John Griffin. Now, I looked up John Griffin, and there's a lot of John Griffins on imdb it's, a, it's like john smith it's yeah, like, that's, yeah a, that's a rough one so i'm just gonna go out there and I, I i tried i researched this for at least 45 minutes trying to find if this is the exact one so we're just gonna assume it is because he has the most elaborate resume uh, out there on imdb which, of the john griffin which honestly doesn't <laughs> doesn't say much about concert confirmation because we've had so many new writers for the season so we'll just try our best we'll assume that this is the john griffin Fingers because crossed. nobody nobody none of the writers for the twilight zone are listed on imdb well so. imdb has been fucking us lately yeah so, so oh I mean, well it's you know. so john if this isn't you we apologize yes, yes. but this may be him and uh this john <laughs> is also an actor. Uh, He's starred in multiple TV shows, ranging from Lethal Weapon to Chuck to Dexter to 24. You ever heard of those? And uh, he's also, uh, as I mentioned, he's also a writer. He graduated from Stanford University. Again, if this is indeed the John that we're talking about. Uh, He studied at Oxford University, and then he decided to forego Columbia Law School and opted for a career in Hollywood instead. And uh, 
But wow. honestly, given his resume, and this is why I'm a little sort of hesitant, is that his lists a lot of reality television, and this episode is not reality Does television. Does not feel like that. Uh, if anything, a... it should have been last week's episode that felt more like reality television. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully this is the same John either way. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit about his script in just a moment, but I'm going to switch over to uh, the director, Matthias Herndl. Now, Matthias Herndl, if that rings a bell, that means that you've been focusing on the credits for every episode of The Twilight Zone of this season because Matthias is the cinematographer for the whole series. Which makes sense because although not every episode I've loved, it's still like visually stunning and has mm-hmm. an aesthetic going for it. So, I mean, I, I think that fits the the script of yeah. you know how we've been feeling about it yeah so matthias has directed episodes of the order genius and ghost wars but he's also done like a ton of cinematography as he's done with you know the the twilight zone um my favorite little uh fun fact about him is that he also is the camera and electrical uh department engineer for halloween resurrection aka the worst halloween sequel uh so i don't know if it's the worst oh it's the worst halloween sequel but he's he's definitely moved up and uh <laughs> He has one credit that's actually kind of fun that um, that I love the title of this one series that he was on. In 2005, he was a director of photography for a show called Mustard Pancakes. What? <laughs> I have never heard of that in my life. So what do, what do we think about the writing and the directing of this episode? I thought the writing was great. I would have liked more showing and less telling. But other than that, it was beautiful. Well, we're going to get into the showing and versus telling in a minute. But uh, direction-wise, where, where, did you, you think this is crisp? Do you think this is, uh, this looks sharp? I thought this oh. this had a... yeah. Obviously, there's a uniformity to the rest of the series because it was the actual cinematographer in the director's chair. But I really thought this was actually like the most cohesive directing oh, wise yeah. i thought the tone was actually really uh sharp and riveting it the didn't entire feel time rushed at all like it's probably the first episode that i felt um the length of it was warranted mm-hmm. everything flowed nothing felt like side plot lines that i didn't think were relevant to it um narratively it was it was just very like tight mm-hmm. yeah I, I thought that like aesthetically as well it just looked it, it had the right tone back and forth as you know you know, not all men didn't have last week's episode. It was distractingly beautiful. This was probably um, one of the tightest episodes and definitely the tightest of the topical episodes we've seen. And I, I love the pacing of it. I felt whenever we caught to some point, um, that's exactly where we should be in the story at that point in the episode. Um, I can't say that about a lot of the episodes. And I think it was great. I think it gave you enough to know and to navigate through the story um, while at the same time leaving you with a couple of questions. And that's always kind of a hallmark of the, you know, the Twilights and leave you some takeaway questions. So, no, I thought this was on point. And, yeah, they, they, they told a little bit more than they revealed, but it wasn't the ham-fisted sort of bashing you over the head, um, you know, use of language and dialogue that really sunk a few other episodes. So uh, th- this episode had me from the beginning. I loved it. I completely agree. We were like uh, instantaneously when the episode started – and the music started um, and we just saw like the house and we looked at each other and we we're like, oh, my gosh, like, I think we're going to like this one. It was like I knew immediately that I was in it and I was interested and I wanted to see where it goes. And I loved the use of this land is our land um, as the ice cream truck. And honestly, it didn't feel like I mean, whereas that could be so treacly and also just very on the nose. It didn't feel exactly. That way. It, it was like just a kind of a nice little subtle gesture of like, all right, well, this is where we're going to go uh, with this. And also it helps that it was 
this sort of surreal image of having an ice cream man going through a wintry wonderland, you know? So yeah, because it was snowy outside. Mm-hmm. Um, the like, honestly, I mean, we watched uh, the first episode of Nosferatu, and the aesthetic kind of reminded me of the first episode yeah. where he's like driving to Christmas Land, and it was it was beautiful. Like I just like I immediately first two minutes, I'm like, okay, no, I'm I'm here for this one, and I went in with very low expectations as I hated last week's episode. Yeah, actually, I was also reminded of the previous episode going in straight away because I'd been thinking, what if not all men had been set in the 50s? Like, that mm-hmm. would have made it infinitely better. Oh, God, yeah. That would be so yeah. good. Yeah. So then we launched into this suburban housewife throwback atomic family thing. And I was like, ooh, stylized. I like it. And then, of course, it was beautifully directed with the um, with the lighting being amazing and the idea of of cold when things are already cold. <laughs> yeah. Very evocative. I, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, and I, this for everyone too, like we didn't address this in the beginning of the episode, but one of the big revelations that happened last week is the notion now that the, all the episodes will be available as black and white once the season's done. And this episode made me realize that I think there might be some things lost in black and white. Totally. This one and Wonderkind, both of them are so colorful and rely so much on on strong colors like like the yellow and the the blues and the greens that mm-hmm. that really made this episode. It was all about finding color in the sky. I mean, that was you're going to lose yeah. that whole thing. <laughs> but, you know, I I'm still looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm already disappointed at the idea that ice cream truck, you know, in black and white going through that uh that neighborhood um i think even our episode in space six degrees of freedom just i'm thinking of how gorgeous that opening shot is with the um the colors of the shuttle and the yeah. steam coming off and and losing that um one thing that i think we've all agreed on is that no matter where the stories have gone we've all thought everything has been visually stunning um this whole series and even if you think about up in Iglac, Alaska, we take away those Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I mean, again, this was it, it reminds me of a couple of years ago where people started putting movies out there in 3D that weren't intended for 3D. Yeah. I wonder if we're now going to put this in black and white when it really wasn't intended. I mean, it's a cool thing to do. It'll be a cool exercise. I think we'll have a lot to talk about. I think some of the episodes will be different and be interesting and take on a sort of a different vibe. But uh, again, I think this is probably a case where some of the some of our favorite moments may actually suffer a little bit because it wasn't intended to be in black and white, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, I wish they had started it with black and white because obviously, like that was what I was kind of thinking they were going to do going into this when they had um, you know announced that they were doing this series. But now looking back, I'm like, actually, like, especially this last episode, there's a scene where uh, Jennifer Goodwin's character is looking up at the sky and her brown eyes turn this like really beautiful icy blue, Mm -hmm. which would obviously be lost in translation and wouldn't mean anything if the episode was in black and white. Yeah. I think if there's anything to take away from this series, it's the color and the visuals. Like, I mean, even on the episodes that I haven't really liked from a narrative standpoint, I've really enjoyed looking at. Um, and when you take away the, the color, like the sharp colors, I think it will, you know, take that away from like the one good thing I've taken from some of these episodes. Yeah. I'm still really interested to see it because that's the way it's always been kind of intended to be watched. But I mean, I guess the, the movie wasn't in black and white and neither was the the last revamp of the series that we got. So 
I don't think it has to be in black and white for us to appreciate it. I think it's a, a cool thing, you know, a, like a little extra for us to experience. But it's like we've already seen it in color. Like if you were going to do it in black and white, it should have been from the beginning for me to really care. I agree. And I think that's kind of what I, it's Matt, That's like perfect metaphor of like or, or parallel to like the 3D films, because there's so many retroactive 3D films that happen. Even like one of the big, you know, things that happened in the with a lot of 50s and 60s films was there were a lot of films that are in black and white and then they changed them to color and it kind of lost something in the translation there. I, I think that when you aesthetics need to start from a point of origin <laughs> no pun intended with this episode mm-hmm. like i think you really do need to have that because it's such a there's a conceit that's tied to every aesthetic and you know be it sound be it you know color design be it you know the production that's brought into every episode so to just kind of like flip the switch and be like well we'll do black and white i think it's cute and i think it it might you know maybe it, it, it allows people to accept the concept of black and white maybe they can use that moving forward but yeah, I agree, Sammy. I think like once you've already set this emotion, you've already kind of it's implied. There's you know some of the story is tied to those aesthetics. Exactly, so. and it's I mean it's kind of like think of it as like the Wizard of Oz thing. To go, it would I would have rather have seen them go from black and white to be like, hey, these are available in color now too. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, it's hard to flip flop it and make us you know go from color then to black and white. I just. I think if they had done it the other way, it would have been like, oh, cool. These episodes are in color now. We have that option. But now that they've done it in color, it's like, I don't want to go back and watch some of these episodes again just for the sake of it being in black and white. When, like I said, sometimes the only thing I took from an episode was how pretty it was. Yeah. They've actually built in both color and something I pick up on every episode is lighting into this series so not only has it been part of the narrative like she just mentioned with that great example of eve and her eyes turning blue but just think of how many times um the lighting has been similar given off a certain vibe and again one thing we've always agreed is this feels like it's happening all in the same dimension you know even when other things are failing we feel like they've created this world that we believe we're going into this dimension Mm -hmm. and again when you change that um when you've created that aesthetic that works together and when i think in little ways you'll see different ways they've been using lighting different ways they've been using colors and to tell stories and to sort of be very subtle i think subtly symbolic of what's going on uh when you turn it all to black and white what are you going to lose and is it going to feel like the same world as much? I wonder about that. It might look, okay, it's all black and white, so we're in this place, but will we lose all those other things that make it felt like it was this world, you know, and, and some of the really cool storytelling elements too. So and I think Sammy's right. It's going to be a cool experiment, like an extra, but I, I don't think it's going to enhance it really in any way. I couldn't imagine that. Well, we'll find out at the end of the season. Which, yeah, May you know, 30th. May 30th. So, well... I'm going to go over the the main characters. We got a lot in this episode just because there are so many people and, you know, there are so many, you know, areas that we go into in this particular chapter. But I think we can pretty much boil it down to four main people. And we'll start off with Eve Martin, Jennifer Goodwin. Love her. I think we all recognize Jennifer Goodwin, right? Well, yeah. And what was so perfect about this is her character in Once Upon a Time is Snow White. Oh. Um, So she already kind of has that, like, "Uh uh-huh like kind Mm -hmm. of feel to her when you first meet her she's got this you know like the always have to be happy wife look um and i think she's gotten that down because she played snow white for like fucking eight seasons or some shit on once upon a time um and then obviously you know we all know her from walk the line um she's johnny cash's first First wife. wife she's 
a great actress. I love her aesthetic. She's very girl next door looking to me. She's Americana. Yes, exactly. In a nutshell, which is what you really need to convey in this episode. And as Eve, suburban mother, two children, played by uh, twins, actually. Yeah. Alexis uh, Wisher and Ella Wisher, and they, they play Jacqueline and Isabel. She's got her life together when we first meet her. Yeah. She's basically, her life turns upside down. Exactly. In a a flash. Yeah, yeah. But she's not alone uh, in this story. Um, We also have Ana Fuentes, uh, played by Zabrina Guevara. Uh, She's been in Castle Rock. She's Mm. been in Gotham. Uh, She was in Snowfall, which is also in FX. Uh, she was in the Netflix's Get Down. Eleanor, did you watch the Get Down? I did. She was great in it. And I didn't realize that's where I knew her from. <laughs> uh, is she like but a main character in the show? Yeah, she she is. She's a big deal. She awesome. does some heavy lifting with Jimmy Smits. Oh, Jimmy Smits is in the Get Down also? Yeah, yeah. Check it out. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love Jimmy Smits. What is... Uh, she? Look, she does some heavy lifting here, too, as Anna... Tell us a little bit about Anna's character. Well, Anna is the dutiful like uh, housekeeper person who does everything that the home mom is probably supposed to do. And also maybe like a personal assistant. And it seems like one of her really big main duties is answering the door. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it, but we also get the idea that, um, you know, she's Guatemalan. She's, uh, she's the nanny to Isabel and Jacqueline. And even when... You know, she's taken away from INS uh, or some form of INS. Uh, we get the sense that just even hanging when when Eve is having to hang out with her children and go grocery shopping and do these kind of remedial chores, we get the sense that like Anna obviously raised these kids. She does everything for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they speak Spanish because she spends so much time with them that mm-hmm. she's taught them a whole second language. She takes them to school, picks them up. So it makes you wonder, like, what are you doing that you can't take care of your children when you're a stay-at-home mom, you mm-hmm. know? Um, She's managing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I think it's worth pointing out that I think what, from what we can gather, she is an illegal immigrant in this country. And what we can probably gather is she's actually been an illegal immigrant a couple of times. And that kind of goes with a twist to the story. But um, what we definitely see with Anna is we see how much contribution there is you know, in this one single family and what this person from another country has brought to them. Yeah. And things kind of fall apart almost immediately. She, uh, she asks Eve if, uh, she could use her address because they live in a very, very swanky wintry suburban wonderland and, uh, wants to use her address so that she can get her grandson, Daniel into a charter school. And Eve says yes. And upon saying yes, it seems like everything falls yeah. falls apart because immediately you get the knock at the door. She's taken away. And then slowly we see Eve having to live her life without Anna. And then even that life kind of falls apart even before INS you know, arrives as well. Well, and there's this like scene after Anna um, gets taken where she's having um, Jennifer Goodwin's character Eve is having a, like a brunch kind of or like tea and biscuits it kind of looks like. With the other pastel colored outfit women of the society, like this of their area. Um, and all of the other moms are talking about how, like, they have related to this scenario. Like, they've also had housekeepers that have gotten picked up and they kind of put the blame on her, too, which was really sad. Yeah. Um, that they're like, oh, well, you know, they come in here and they should kind of expect that to happen. And it was kind of a look at, like, 
how a lot of people in upper, you know, even middle class society look at immigrants as a whole, even if they are legally here, you know? They also sort of have this savior complex going on. Yeah. This white savior complex thing where they're, you know, they're doing the best they can for these people who are clearly idiots for getting detained. And then one of the pastel women <laughs> says it could expose us and them. Yeah, it's like they're just, it's all self, you know, preservation um, on there. And I, I thought it was interesting that that circle seemed to be pretty diverse too. So it wasn't like, you know, they're definitely trying to show that it almost felt like this sort of like metaphor for America as a whole, like almost like a. Um, because we're all immigrants, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think there was supposed to be some sort of, you know, obvious uh commentary yeah, there to show that we white. all come from some place which is you know obviously the theme of this episode and even these upper class housewives all come from diverse backgrounds and yet they're also saying like you know well they they need to go through the chart you know the, through the protocol which is something that i mean i personally have heard a thousand times in living in this country um, well yeah if it were that easy they would do it <laughs> yeah so also just like eve anna's having a hard time <laughs> Yeah, to say the least. So, to say the least. Uh, but we got two more big characters that I want to get to before we start getting into kind of the nitty gritty. We'll, we'll start with uh, Eve's husband, William Martin, uh, played by Toby Levins. He was in uh, Shudder's Critters, The New Binge. Oh, wow. Yeah, big, big deal. But he's also been in like The 100. He was in Supernatural. That's one of my faves. You love him. He yeah. plays a lot of sheriffs and like lieutenants, but he's been in like pretty much every fucking show last like 10 years or so he just has like one-offs here and there but um he's kind of a shitty husband he's kind of a shitty (laughs) they've been married for six years uh but he he seems very concerned in the beginning when they go to the irns area uh but then all of a sudden when he's you know allowed to go with the two daughters uh we see him later and he's kind of cold he's just like you don't live here anymore so he's kind of a shit wouldn't you if your wife was taken to a facility you didn't know why yeah um, you were never explained to, you know, how long it was going to be, what the issue was. You weren't told anything, basically. Wouldn't you fight for them, you would think? Or try to get a lawyer yeah. or do something? <laughs> well, he was going to do that. It just wasn't an attorney thing. But yeah, he totally ditches her really quickly. <laughs> yeah, which is weird. Like, I'll be back for you. It's fine. I'll come back for you. What did you make of that, though? Because, it's, I mean, maybe it's just because it's supposed to be serviceable to the plot and all. But I thought it was awkward that there was no sort of uh since he has a, f- a sense of fight in the beginning and then once it's proven that she is from somewhere else it's just like ah whatever you can get another wife it's not that hard <laughs> he clearly has the money yeah right one thing you have to um think about in this episode is one of the first things they do is establish this disconnect between anna and between eve that no matter though anna calls her family she's still this is the, you know, this is the employer. This is the employee. She's done everything for this family. She better go and answer the door because, you know, the door is ringing. Um, and I think that's something we see here that's sort of interesting. We think about what it means to be family. I think what it means to actually care about other people. Because remember when they're dragged into that office and at first the doctor says, oh, actually, we made a mistake. You can all go, you know, or we were inefficient. Well, whether he's talking about William, he's talking about the two girls, right? Uh-huh. But and and Eve's like, oh, okay, you know, it's okay. I mean, meanwhile, she's seen Anna just dragged away, right? Yeah, she's seen what's happened to her, and then the next thing she's doing is kind of bragging to her friends how, oh, I stood up for her, which we know she didn't, right? Um, and then when she's in that situation, she's seen all these terrible things happen to people, or you know, people she knows people are getting hauled off, but again. 
she's kind of comfortable now that it's not happening to her. Even when we have a twist later on and she thinks the tests haven't come up saying that she is an alien or an immigrant, right? She's fine. She's relieved. Just get me home. It's okay now. So I think one of the interesting things going on, and Anna kind of brings it up very, very bluntly, is what does it actually mean to be family? What does it actually mean to care about other people? So I think that's a really interesting dynamic. When we find new information about Eve, what does that mean all of a sudden to, to William, the husband? And that's a really strange dynamic. I agree. But to me, this uh, episode's about sort of what does family mean? Uh, what does it mean to really love someone and care about them? Yeah. I think another way of looking at it, too, is as a society, if it's not affecting us or happening to us, how many times do we just look the other way? Well, that's the whole metaphor of the ice cream. You know, it's like the idea that we have these comforts and luxuries to take us away from the realities at, at harm. We want to we want to just we, we, we just want the ice cream. We don't want to have to deal with the consequences. I mean, the, the, the first line that Eve says is to the people working on the party. And she says, you oversee everything, right? Because I'd rather not see anything. And that's, she doesn't want to do anything. She doesn't want to have to deal with it, the, the, the problems. She just wants to have the, the sort of luxuries. And I think that's the kind of, you know, push and pull that this episode is kind of, you know, chewing on. Because that's America as a whole. Like, yeah. like, we see all these things in the news. We see things happening to other people. But it's not directly happening to us. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with my peers you know, about politics or, you know, anything going on in the world where it's like, oh, it's not really affecting me, so I don't really care. And that's not the way we should ever <laughs> obviously look at anything. No. I mean, yeah. she, you know, lies to her friends and says that she's stuck up for them because it's kind of this like social justice warrior look of like, well, I tried to do something. And it's like, you didn't do anything. You stood there and you watched it happen. Yeah, that whole like tea party sequence just felt like, the sort of Twitter incarnated. Yeah, <laughs> like, we can all go on social media, you know, and say like, "This is bad." Oh, I signed. <laughs> I signed something. Yeah, and or it means I don't that like you know, I, I I petitioned, and it's going to work. No, it didn't mean anything. As we see, Eve lose her status, lose her ability to um, disassociate, you know, to create that distance. We see how it would might be if one of us, you know, or how she, obviously how she's affected, but. What if that happened to us? What if mm -hmm. we were in that position? So all of a sudden we get closer and closer to position where we can actually sympathize and perhaps empathize with someone like Anna who's to live with this fear every single day. Yeah, I think that's why it was one of the whitest episodes we've seen. There were way more white actors than there have been on a lot of these. And I think it is just trying to get a group of people, white people, who aren't going to relate to all of these problems to relate more. And the Tea Party conversation, the women were kind of giving each other permission to also blame the victims here yeah. and say, well, they should have known better. And, you know, I'm exempt from these problems because I deserve to be. You know, it's, it's interesting that the casting that you just suggested kind of goes back to like what we were saying with last week or even with replay in the sense that it feels as if Jordan Peele's impetus with this show is to kind of place the viewer into point of views in, in, in America. Um, maybe not so much send messages, but try to show or emulate some sort of experience for people in America to see, to, to kind of, um, you know, to be as palpable as possible with the point of view. And I think this episode is that for sure. Well, yeah, they're taking the white female character 
who has never experienced prejudice or something of this caliber happening to her. And she's now being taken away and treated as if she's not, you know, a a U.S. citizen or wherever they're at. You know, Mm -hmm. she's being treated like she's seen other people treated or heard about. So now it's directly affecting her. And I think it's sad, but I think that's sometimes the only way for someone to see or care or realize how bad something is, is for it to affect them. Well, and this is what's really great about this episode, I feel, is that it does what the other episodes I just mentioned doesn't really, in that it has a construct that allows it to be a medium for both the message and for that experience. And that comes from our final actor, his uh, character is Mr. Allendale, who um, is played by James Frain. This guy is a pure veteran of television. Yeah. He was in Star Trek Discovery. He's an orphan black. He plays Azriel in Gotham, the crazy murder. Uh, he was in True Detective Season 2, everyone's favorite. Um, <laughs> he was in The Tudors. And he was also in 24. Um, he plays this as, like same character basically in Orphan Black. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Like When I saw him, I was like, oh, it's the same guy. <laughs> well, he's basically the INS leader. And... What, we, what, what do we find out? What pretty much is the twist here? He is looking for immigrants from other dimensions. Yeah. And I'll add that he plays the same character in Tron also. <laughs> yes. Cause it was a Tron legacy, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 He was, I guess he's just always going to be that guy behind the seat. He's gotten or behind the desk. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he looks like that. Like he has kind of this like swarmy look to him that yeah. he's kind of up to no good. Yeah. Almost like a James Bond, like bad guy kind yeah. of. Uh, yeah. But, and he plays it well. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. you immediately get this kind of ugh, oh, like it's a chill. From you get him. a chill yeah. from him. He's scary for sure. um, and effective. Mm-hmm. He and the guy who played the cop in replay probably go to the same bar and go Man. <laughs> and hang out. <laughs> yeah. Like, what'd you do? Oh, well, you know, I scared this family. Uh, well, I did too. <laughs> if I could just be likable. So, yeah. Instead of saying that she's directly saying that she's from another country, they say she's, you know, Eve is from another dimension and she's part of a bunch of other people that are from this other dimension. And he uses very strong words that should, you know, obviously hit hard for anyone living in America right now. He uses caravan, which we've heard nonstop in the Trump administration for sure. He uses pilgrims, you know, the, the quote unquote better future. I mean, it couldn't be it. It's very blunt in terms of its metaphor, but I didn't feel it was ham-fisted like last week. I agree, because that's the whole point of immigration, is that you're coming somewhere with promise of a better life. Mm -hmm. Um, And why on earth would you want to take that away from someone? Why would you want to send someone back or a group of people back to a place that is from what we see in this episode, if we're, you know, comparing and contrasting a wasteland of some sort? Yeah, I mean, but so basically, for clarification, like... Eve has been having these flashbacks. flashbacks yes. And these flashbacks are pretty pointed. I mean, they're all these kind of war-torn lands. It's like basically what we see in Terminator, a Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, okay. I think uh, it's, it's exactly that. It's not far when, I mean, when we talk about why people are coming to this country, it's typically because they're trying to escape poverty. They're trying to escape violence, something like that. But it's it's interesting, you know, depending on, who you ask why they're coming. Most of us, I think, can see that. Um, unfortunately, there's a segment of this country, maybe the ladies at that table around Eve, who think, of course, oh, they're just coming here to you know, take advantage of us, to take what's ours, to get health care when people here don't even have health care. You know? Heaven forbid they want you know, um, you know, something uh, you know, good for themselves, what most people think is a you know, basic human right. And I think one thing that was really 
sort of interesting is notice that Dr. Um, what's it, Dr. Allendale? Yeah, Mr. Allendale. He's not a doctor yet. <laughs> <laughs> I assume when you stick a, you know, a, what, a two foot needle into someone's spine, I assume you've had some medical training, but maybe not. Point being is notice Mr. Allendale has no reason for why they shouldn't be here other than you don't belong here, right? This is my home, not yours. Meanwhile, throughout the episode, we find a lot of reasons why. I mean, mm-hmm. Hannah's the perfect example of why we absolutely need these people here. So I think it's interesting that the, the argument falls short usually in daily life when you actually talk to someone. Um, the argument definitely, they don't even try to make the argument here, you know. They did kind of actually, because he said something to the effect of they're screwing with our gene pool. Like the, you're making our future less quality or something yeah it almost seems like they were trying to make a reference to eugenics and especially like trying to draw the parallels between how we're treating immigrant reform here immigration reform here to like almost like the nazi party and how we want to just kind of create a a, a more pure species i I don't know maybe that's a fucking reach it's the fear of the browning of america you know and that whole Jews will not replace us, right? Brown people, Muslims will not replace us. It also even goes back to like the imagery that we see. I mean, like when Eve is set on that table, that's in the middle of this sort of like industrial basement and she's placed under these lights and has all these wires attached to her. There's definitely like Nazi, you know, Goebbels imagery that I, that I grabbed from him. Yeah, you're totally right. Absolutely. Well, what did you make of the whole INS area? I mean, I kind of got Lynchian vibes with it a little bit, just like the way that it was so surreal that at one point when Eve's, you know, prompted to try to escape, there's like a door behind the bathroom area and even like the fast cuts and like you know have a real sense of time like i totally got like david lynch vibes from this well that makes sense because david lynch is always traveling through dimensions that's true (laughs) yeah as we saw dale cooper do in the return whoa Um, whoa (laughs) yes yeah i mean i think it has to do with the transcendental meditation (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i want to do tm so bad but oh god it's too expensive but tv is cheaper have you ever tried tm yeah, uh, actually, I do TM, and I'm a big fan. Um, what is this depot supposed to be? Like, you know, it's 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 obviously a, there were some allusions to the way that we imprison our immigrants, but what do you think they're actually doing here? They're trying to separate and instill fear, I think, um, because fear is how, for some reason, we think we can get answers, even though people tend to just lie when they're scared. I mean, even Eve's character basically tells him, like, I don't know what you want me to say. You know, I don't I don't know what the right answer mm-hmm. is here. And that's how we end up getting wrong answers. <laughs> and then we see that they have to, he has to like kind of trick her into telling the truth by like um, instilling a memory that she thinks she's gotten home and has her talk to her husband and like tell her secret. And that's how he finds out the truth. I mean, I think we, we realize it's, pretty clear that they're rounding up people especially especially when anna says you know i've known it for a while we're from the same place she doesn't mean guatemala you know anna no. i think has been an illegal immigrant so to speak a couple of times once from guatemala to the united states and once you know from another dimension i think the question i had about if we're getting into sort of the what's technically going to happen is how did they send them back yeah i didn't get a sense that they 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 knew they didn't want them here, but then what do you do? And that kind of leads to a lot of scary possibilities when you don't want a group of people 
in your world, so what do you do with them? And, oh, we can go to all kinds of you know, terrifying realities with that question. I was getting that the Allendales are fighting a war, and they're gathering intel from people, which is why they're detaining them the way they are. And then that's in contrast to Eve, who came here as a child and is totally assimilated, as you know, <laughs> as much as you can be, and also not be participating in society. Yeah. So are you saying, Eleanor, that you got the feeling that um, there's been leaks between these dimensions? People have been coming here and now they're sort of aware of it. So they feel like they're fighting that sort of I guess maybe if we want to use the term we hear all the time, right? They're fighting that invasion. Is that kind of how you sensed it? Yeah, they're fighting a war. She is just trying to get through her day. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is I mean, it doesn't get more transparent in terms of the you know commentary they're trying to say about america itself i mean that's one of the biggest things we always hear is that oh yeah i know the the you know they're terrorists or you know they're they're threatening you know the the border with you know the violence and they're going to be bringing in you know all the all these weapons and all these you know there's always just that 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 assumption that any immigrant that's coming in illegally is a terrorist or is a huge threat when most of the time it's not the case at all and there's most of the time they're anna's with a family yeah. that they want to take care of yeah, and make sure are okay. And so that's what I think is so scary about the ending. How do they get back? And because they leave it so open-ended with her just, you know, being taken back to the facility after being tricked, it leaves you to think like, are they just going to kill them all and round them up and, you know, get rid of this existence? Because do we have the technology to send someone back to another dimension like they did to get here? So in that respect, I actually really liked the non-explanation to how they do that because I think it leaves you with the scary thought of they're probably just going to kill them. Well, it also goes into the reality of things. I mean, I don't think we even have that sort of sense of place in our own country. (laughs) Like, I think there's so many situations where we just assume that, well, someone's taken. We don't even think about the ramifications out, you know, after it, which is pretty much the general statement of this episode is just the ignorance is bliss despite the fact that we're contradictory you know our principles as a country itself and one of the things i some of the things i really did like then glean you know we've talked so much about episodes wedging a million themes and metaphors and messages and under the you know one umbrella and i thought this episode did a really good job in kind of showing some of the slight nuances that you can kind of bring into one message like i like the idea that you know eve gets through because she has money you know there's this assumption that you know currency still is you know the the skeleton key through all of your problems but only to a certain point i also like the idea that you do see the confusion and horror of suspicion and just knowing that no matter what you say or no matter what you do and what you don't know or what you don't know, it doesn't matter. The fact that you are a suspect, you are just automatically marginalized and put on a fringe. And and from a lot of people, there is no escape of that. You will always be a suspect. You will always be seen as this threat. And that's terrifying. And I think that this episode really kind of shows that terror um, for sure. Um, but I also get this a sense that like there's little th- bits and pieces about how it, they this, this whole process just strips your whole identity and that, you know, you, you not only are running from where you came from, but you're a threat because of where you come from, you know, altogether. So in that sense, you start losing your own sense of identity as well. And then think where it ends up at the very end where your daughters are sent upstairs instead of hugging their mother. 
the the husband says, I don't know you. They go outside and people who you were just having, you know, tea with at a party a couple, uh, what, days ago, I'm assuming? Yeah. They're just looking on at you and saying, well, you know, there must have been something wrong with her, right? Or better her than us, maybe, depending on what you believe is going on with them, you know? So, like you said, the the stripping of identity right down to the family unit and the separation of families. Yeah, I think it's don't get involved. If you don't get involved, you won't end up like she did. But on the other hand, she does make a lot of progress on this resistance end of things because she keeps making small efforts to help Anna. She does. Did you now? Here, I have a question for you on that note. When she gets into the ice cream truck at the end and doesn't follow Anna, do you think that's what leads her to her downfall? Because she, I mean, if you think of it from a metaphorical standpoint, that she should have followed Anna. Well, I mean, she definitely should have. What an idiot. <laughs> but do you think that's what led her to her downfall? In that moment, that was that, that was a huge question to me. What happens if she doesn't get in there? Obviously, there's no reason why you should go home. But I think in going home, it still hadn't dawned on her the extent to which she had been stripped away yeah. of who she was, her privileges, her power and status she'd always had in the society. She still didn't see herself. Even though there's a there's a moment where we see the turn, right? This is a person who didn't even know Anna had grandkids, didn't know her names, didn't know anything about Anna, really, even though Anna had been her maid for 11 years, right? There's that moment where she's been beaten down and she says, no, Anna has to come with me. I'm not leaving her here, right? But still at the end, she quite I don't think she quite sees herself like she sees Anna. And she's not going to go with her like that. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly that's the summation of the episode, especially with Peel's finality of just saying, like, we all come from some place and, you know, we're no different than one another. I thought that Jennifer Goodwin's performance in that scene where she's being taken away and she's like, no, this is my home. This is my home, you know, and she's just screaming. It's just so harrowing, you know, and it's just like very heartbreaking and demeaning and, and unforgiving and. I thought that scene right there just sold everything that this episode was saying, you know, was trying to say and trying to, you know, portend and trying to suggest in a way that I haven't seen in a while with um, with this type of television, even beyond Black Mirror. I like I, I think that it just like it really struck me like I was sitting there at the end just being like, fuck, I need to like put on a comedy or something like that. Like this is just like. It's just haunting, just really, really haunting. I, I don't know. I just thought that was that performance was just fucking excellent. There. It's probably the best performance I've seen out of the series as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think she's absolutely brilliant to portray the fall that she went through. And then at the end, you know, she's finally at that point where she feels like millions of people here in America feel all the time. And she portrays that, just that fear and that terror of what could happen at any second to so many people. And uh, this, I think this was, I would say this is probably the performance of uh, the series so far. I get on board with that. She did a terrific job, but I was not sold on it because I don't really know what she was going back to. And I think if there had been more of a, you're going back to be deported Here's what that looks like. I think I would have been more worried for her. Hmm. So you wanted more like specificity? Yeah, I wanted to know what she was afraid of. What's next for her? I mean, if we just think of some of the options, um, is she going to be round up in some camp where, again, she's separated from the people she loves, her family? Is she going to be sent back to another dimension that looks like this nuclear holocaust? Is she going to be exterminated? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is at that point, I don't see... Even though I don't know exactly what's going to happen to her, I don't see 
what possible outcome that isn't going to be absolutely terrifying at that point, though. So that would be my argument against sort of that. Agreed. But then we know she's not going back to her wonderful kids and her yeah. her world that she's used to. Now that that's gone, why is she so upset about leaving it? Because it's not there anyway. I would feel worse if I were being sent back to the dimension that I'm from where everything's fucked. But at least in the detention center, it seems like she has friends. It seems like they might be able to teach her how to find it within herself to move to another plane. Well, I know that we have to move to another plane. On that note, I think this is a time that we need to move over and shuffle to our next section that we like to call Light and Shadow. We know that a dream can be real, but whoever thought that reality could be a dream? Think about it. And then ask yourself, do you live here in this country, in this world, or do you live instead in the twilight zone? Now, in this section, we talk about the parallels, the illusions, and uh, the connections to both the Twilight Zone, past episodes, and also other things in pop culture. Uh, I saw a lot in this episode, for sure. Who wants to kick this one off? I'll go. The charter school that um, Anna's character asks her to be able to use the address for Mm -hmm. is Matheson Charter School. Yep. Richard Matheson was an original writer for The Twilight Zone. He wrote episodes as such as The Original Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And as everyone knows, my personal favorite, Nick of Time. So I thought that was like a cool little, obviously, like, nod. There was a quick, very quick, to the point where we're like, we had to rewind it so you could see where they like scan over the dollhouse, um, like the little twins' dollhouse, and you can see the gremlin in the window of the dollhouse. He's been popping up a lot in mm-hmm. this series. They've been using him a lot. Honestly, the episode itself kind of reminded me of The Handmaid's Tale, um, even though I know it's like a little different, but definitely like women being or people just being rounded up um, and not being told why and having no choice in the matter, really. My favorite one that I caught that you didn't catch. I didn't, no. Was um, when Eve gets put on the table to tell them if she, you know, like to go over the questions. They put a mask on her. And the mask is actually the face of Dr. Bernardi from Eye of the Beholder. It has like the curved lip Mm -hmm. um, and the nose. I also, this is like definitely reaching, uh, but there's a scene where the twins come down and they're both wearing these like little blue dresses and they kind of looked like the Shining twins. Oh, the Grady twins? Yeah. I love it. That was all I got. That those were my little, you know, Easter eggs that I found and kind of correlations to other things in pop culture. I feel like I've seen before. Well, I'll hold back mine. But Eleanor, what what illusions did you say? There was the Canamunch cereal, like the Canamits, oh. and it says to serve humans on it. <laughs> and the Mr. Dingle ice cream truck. Oh wait, so what was the? What did it say? Yeah, what, I tried to see what was on the ice cream truck, truck, and I could not see it. It was Mr. Dingle ice cream, like the episode where Mr. Dingle gets um superhuman strength from martians and then um, oh yes mr dingle the strong yes and then some venusians come in and fuck with his mind so poor mr dingle Hmm. retired and started selling ice cream instead Uh, we rewound that so many times trying to read it and we couldn't make it out so i'm glad that you did it seemed to be like a flash of talking tina in the the the, you know Mm -hmm. in her um, flashbacks and the code 
that to get out of uh, the facility was 1015 again, which, you know, there's this recurring number there. It gets you out of the jail. It gets you into the cockpit. Yeah. It's the flight number. I mean, I don't know what the significance of it is. I'd love to know. I should probably have, you know, looked into that. But like, like it's the appointment time and not all men from last episode. Like Mm -hmm. it has appeared in, I think, every episode that we've seen so far. Is it Jordan Peele's birthday? No, no. Oh. I, I looked <laughs> I up like, so oh, many wow. of them. I went uh, full on lost on this. Like I was like, whose initials is it? If you do the numbers of the alphabet, I did the air date for Twilight Zone. I, I don't know what it is. If there's a listener out there who does go for it. But I actually I was watching older episodes and then watching these episodes and thinking it's so nice when you don't have to look for Easter eggs. <laughs> you can just enjoy the show. I know. <laughs> Maybe we'll find out. Maybe there'll be a whole episode just on the number 1015. That could be interesting. But Eleanor, did you have more? There were definitely racial questions that came up a la The Encounter. And that was the one about the World War II vet in an attic with George Takai. <laughs> oh, I love God. I'm so glad you found that one because I've been trying to think of that episode recently. And it's like late, late into this, I think, season five. Yeah. That's actually one of my first episodes of I ever watched The Twilight Zone. That's interesting because I read that it hasn't aired too much because of it dealing with racial issues. But it's not actually all that racist, you mm-hmm. know, especially considering when it came out and all the other stuff that was going on in media. So it's weird that it would have been held back but apparently it made it to you earlier so it did cool (laughs) one of the ones that i thought was not exactly in the original run per se but in the twilight zone movie uh there's a one of the earlier segments is with vic morrow who actually died in the set so john landis directed this one it's uh called time out and what that episode does is take um someone who's just a stone-cold racist and they puts him in the the shoes of the people that he's you know made fun of or marginalized, and it is as a kid it scared the hell out of me. I mean the whole movie scared the hell out of me. It kind of took the horror element a little too far. That whole movie does, but the ending is just really just very similar to this in the sense uh, that that sort of um, in escape that feeling of not being able to kind of get out of the terrors of the Twilight Zone and basically having to live with the the notion that you are going to experience the, the the horrors and the trials and tribulations of those that have been marginalized. It so it reminded me of that, which that segment itself was inspired by what you need and a nice place to visit. So I couldn't really see too many of those two episodes in this one, but um, Time Out for sure is definitely, is just all over this episode. And I also thought that there's this continuing notion of other worlds that are seeming to be placed in this this season. You know, when we saw in Six Degrees of Freedom, there is this, um, you know, other reality, other dimension um, that uh, one of the astronauts was pulled from and that the, there are other people in control and there are other worlds than these to borrow from Stephen King. And and I wonder what that says or what they're trying to say about that in this season or if it just happens to be a coincidence with how we live our lives digitally and how we live our lives physically. But what do you, th- what do you make of that? Do you think that's just coincidence? I think they're dealing with different philosophical and scientific concepts. So mm-hmm. I think they're different things. I think that simulation theory versus multidimensional theory, they're different arguments, but they're sort of made by the same people who like to question things. Yeah. And at the same time, I think you can make the argument while it's talking about there's other worlds besides these. 
I think within our own world, there's other worlds. Um, we saw two very different worlds in this episode, um, Eve's and Anna's, and by the end, Eve has entered Anna's. So um, I think in a lot of these, you know, uh, we look at replay, you know, we see the other world of what it is to be black in America or, you know, what it is to um, be the minority if you're Inuit in Eaglack, Alaska. So I think we're definitely seeing a case with some of these topical episodes for sure where there's other worlds, you know, and other experiences within our own world as well. I mean, I don't think we appreciate how whether historically or just in so many countries now someone can knock down your front door take you away and they don't have to tell you why Mm -hmm. the fact that that sort of thing is perhaps happening in our country you know is is also terrifying so a lot of literature ties into that sort of thing what happens when the government takes that kind of control if you ever read uh, richard wright's native son they use snow and they use cold in that so brilliantly and the idea is that um it's really about being black in a white world and how confusing that is and how you can't come out on top. And um, whenever that character, Bigger Thomas, enters into the white world, it's always very snowy. It's as white as it possibly can be. And I thought of, again, those opening scenes and that, that ice cream truck and everything. Um, we see all the snow in the winter. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when could someone who looks like Anna ever feel really safe and secure in a place that looks like that? Even if she wasn't illegal, you know, when would she still not be considered suspicious, you know, by some people? So that was a novel, a little literature reference that made sense to me based on what Eleanor was talking before. But, yeah, any any time people are rounding people up and trying to find out who they really are and, you know, separating people from others, it's uh, – I mean, you could, you could go right into, you know – the Schindler's List and the Nazi comparisons too. Oh, of course. For very, very obvious ones. So a really terrifying prospect and all made all the more horrifying that shades of it could be happening in our own country. Oh, totally. Yeah. And actually some other Nazis that it reminded me of were from Man in the High Castle, which is a show based on a Philip K. Dick book where you start out thinking that you're just watching an alternate reality in which Hitler won, in which the Axis powers won. And it's set in the 60s. But in that show, it ends up being that you can travel between dimensions and there are rules to that. But it's the same sort of mechanism that gets you between dimensions and it has to do with marginalized people needing a way to escape so i think that has some similarities to this episode also oh absolutely well on that note i think it's time for us to discuss the two other shades of this twilight zone series and that is science and superstition obscure metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomenon Reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you'll find it in the Twilight Zone. In Science and Superstition, we like to talk about the fundamentals and the mechanics of the zone, whether or not this is sci-fi or fantasy, and what made us sweat. Now, because we talked at length already about the mechanics, we're going to kind of put that uh, in the back burner for a little bit. We like to do this fun debate that seems a little meaningless uh, each week, I think, as we keep going on. But uh, what do we call this? Sci-fi or fantasy or political rhetoric? Sammy, let's go with you. I think this feels more like a dystopian society than anything. But, I mean, obviously, it's very we can find a lot of parallels to our own. Um, And that's, like I said, it reminds me of The Handmaid's Tale or like 
a good YA novel, kind of, you know? I mean, I've read so many YA that involve, like, a girl trying to escape a situation where she's, like, trapped, doesn't know why she's there, it's the government, you know? So, if anything, I feel like this is definitely a little bit more, sci like, science fiction and not so fantasy because, like I said, I can find so many parallels to our life right now. Anytime you do, like, any dimensions or anything like that, for me, that feels more like science fiction. For me, I actually want to lean. I know that there's the whole parallel worlds and everything, but one parallel that I withheld from the last section, I saved for this because if there was one tie that I saw to the Twilight Zone, and this also was uh, to kind of a special episode called An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Now, this was a originally a French film, I think, I believe a short film that had um, been nominated for the Academy Award and maybe even won. Um, but it was re-appropriated um, for The Twilight Zone, and it's considered one of the sharpest episodes, um, even though it's technically not a Twilight Zone. And it deals with a prisoner who's being hung, and right before he's about to, you know, to be hung, the line cuts. He falls down into this, you know, into this water, and he's able to then run away and to escape. And right as he's about to get to embrace his wife's arms, you hear, got him. And then he falls and he is hung. So everything he just had, you know, everything we watched on screen essentially had been his own sort of dreams, his, his, his fantasy, if you will, which is why I would almost kind of put this under like a political fantasy, so to speak, you know, a fantasy used to tell a political parable or, you know, to tell a theme to a metaphor. And that's why I saw it more than sci-fi than anything. Um, and I, I could be all wrong, but that's kind of where I see it. I'd go sci-fi because we are dealing with dimensions, which you can look at super string theory and particle physics and cosmology and get some dimensional input. Or you can look at the more meditative side of things. But either way, I would go with sci-fi oh. which i should add i was watching the episode the fugitive recently not the fantastic movie but <laughs> i didn't kill my wife well i don't care so <laughs> yeah no i was i was watching the episode the fugitive and it ends with rod serling giving exactly his definition of sci-fi versus fantasy mm. so if you want rod serling's take on it go check out the fugitive I will. I'm actually, I will find that, that whole speech and I will read it. It's been said that science fiction and fantasy are two different things. Science fiction, the improbable made possible. Fantasy, the impossible made probable. So there you go. That's the difference according to the man himself. So science fiction, the improbable made possible. Fantasy, the impossible made probable. Well, I mean, I guess in Eve's eyes... The impossible was made probable, but also with the parallel universes, the improbable was made possible. So maybe we're in between both a little bit here. It's a bit of a gray area. Great. Fine. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what do you think? Going back, the occurrence at Elk Creek Bridge was also, uh, I know it was a short story by Ambrose Bierce. Mm. Um, that's where that comes from. He also wrote The Devil's Dictionary. It's probably the other famous thing he wrote, but... Um, and then he disappeared. He did. Probably into the Twilight Zone. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. he, he actually turned out to be part of He ended up being sci-fi um, himself. And, and I, take, I took it as sci-fi originally um, when I thought about dimensions. But I think of it more as, you know, actually more as um, if we're going to say the impossible made probable, then I would say 
it's more it's more on the fantasy side. Eve's in a position where something like this could happen to others, you know, people like Anna, but never her. And all of a sudden becomes very possible. And other people start thinking this is, you know, maybe this could possibly happen to me in some circumstance. I think it was really interesting that um, they used the sci-fi element of being from another dimension to make her closer to these other people than she thinks she is. So I thought that was an interesting way to pull in sci-fi into it for sure. But to me, it was kind of that idea that the fantasy of what's, you know, one of the worst things that could happen to someone who feels as safe and secure as Eve. And it would be to have all that stripped from her, all she cares about taken away from her. Her fantasy is Anna's reality. Well, that's what made me sweat. Because I honestly, that ending just just got under my skin in a way that... Uh, none of the, end of the scenes in this show have gotten yet. So just that sort of reality, that quote unquote fantasy or that sort of improbability becoming reality at the end and the way that she deals with it. It's just so like, oh, God, it just I go much as like he'll still hear her. What other things made people sway? Obviously, it's not as dark because the scene that you were just talking about was genuinely the most terrifying, I think, that we've seen out of the series. But the this, this scene where her card keeps getting declined <laughs> at the grocery store and like that whole line is behind her yeah and it's like overwhelming you have all of these groceries i hate that feeling because that has happened to me before it's happened to us before it, exactly um <laughs> yeah. but it's it's happened to me many times and it's like the people behind you you start to sweat it's like that feeling when your mom would leave you in line and be like oh i'm gonna go grab some milk i'll be right back and then it gets <laughs> to your turn up there and it's like time to pay and they're not back yet mm -hmm. and so the whole line behind you is getting angry and mad at you it gives me like Anxiety. I hate that. It gives you that. the willies? It gives me the willies. It made me sweat. What made you sweat, Eleanor? Um, Probably the empathy for the people standing behind those jerks in line. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even get their card. I don't know. Carry some cash. What the hell? No, um, that's not <laughs> true. And I, <laughs> I, that really does suck. But I think not knowing where to go. When Anna obviously makes the right decision when she doesn't get in the ice cream truck, because the ice cream truck is just going back to the house where they know Eve is going to go to. Like, what, mm -hmm. a, what a dumb move. But also, where else do you go? So it's kind of like the movie The Great Escape, where no one actually escapes. Everybody gets caught again. Yeah. Where you've come, you've come this far and you want there to be something else. But really, everything's stacked so hard against you that where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I know. If only she had Steve McQueen on a motorcycle to vroom vroom her away. <laughs> That is kind of scary, and especially in this world, if we're going to be leaning on, you know, maybe it's not so much just her being in a different country, but in a different world, there is nowhere to go, which is really, I mean, which is why the, I think the episode definitely captures that feeling for sure, or at least, you know, embellishes that feeling. That is very terrifying. And I think that's, oof, it even goes beyond the metaphor of immigration of just like, even the inescapability of dread at some times or existential dread. And just how like there is no escape of it sometimes because you are your own, you know your own vessel you are stuck in it so uh, maybe that's just looking way too far into it but it sticks with me. What about you, Matt? I just have to go back to the fear that any second someone can come for you. They don't have to tell you why they've come for you. You can be hauled away, separated from your family. I mean, I can't think of really a more terrifying thing that can happen to you in reality without getting into some you know god awful gorish you know, concepts. I mean, this is this is an absolute nightmare, just as like we saw in things in replay, seeing your son shot by a police officer when he was just trying to show him the pink slip to your car was, I mean, you can't think of anything more horrifying than that. 
the reality of this. It hit home. And um, the fact that it's not as far away from our door as it should be, it's not as far away from being how Americans now behave and now how we work. That, that's, that's, that's absolutely terrifying to me. Well, Matt, that kind of sounds a little bit like the lesson, which is why we're going to go there right now. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. What do we learn? Matt, you get the nail right on the head. Right now, I think a question we have to ask ourselves is, we've been asking ourselves the last couple of years, what type of America do we want to live in? Do we want to live in an America where doors are kicked down, uh, due process is denied, families are separated, kids are put in cages, a country where we treat illegals um, as less than, where we discourage them from assimilating and uh, we deny their contributions? Uh, this is what we're, you know, potentially facing, and it's uh, it's in the news every day, and it's not going away. There's still hundreds of children who've been separated from their parents, and they haven't been reunited yet. So um, that's the lesson to me. I mean, is this going to be our reality or not? Is this going to be how Americans handle immigration in this country or not? Um, mm-hmm. And what once seemed completely um, repugnant, what once seemed completely inexcusable and as far away from American values as possible, or we would hope would be, now seem, you know, it doesn't seem too bad to some people. Again, going back to what Sammy said, because they're not worried about someone knocking on their door. But, you know, that's that's today if someone's not knocking on your door. That's not to say for a different reason in the future they might not. So that's my big takeaway. By illegals, you mean undocumented immigrants? By illegals, yeah, I mean undocumented immigrants. Okay. Sorry if I offend anyone, but sure. <laughs> I think the lesson might even be that, but on a on a more personal level. Like uh, we know that that Eva's making the right decisions when she embraces her connection with Anna. When she knows that she has to take Anna with her, she has to wait for Anna, and then Anna is the key to making the correct decision to not get on the ice cream truck. So I think the lesson there is that we are supposed to reach out to our fellow humans on a personal level, be there for them, support them, and not just try to keep our heads down and think, well, this doesn't affect me and I've got to worry about me. Instead, think about how we can help each other and then do it. I couldn't agree with you more, Eleanor. I think that this episode is very eye-opening. It should show us that sometimes you have to kind of, even if it's not affecting you, look at the situation and realize that you you should do something about it. You should say something. Um, I think this episode showed us how afraid of, you know, the quote unquote other we are as a society. We have this inefficiency in, in our government right now that instead of finding a way to make this work, we have done what they do in this episode, you know, and just kind of get them all together in a place and, you know, and think that this is the solution to it. I think that this episode also kind of shows us like, you know, what white privilege really looks like and what it's like to kind of sit in your ivory tower and say, you know, that sucks, but I'm, you know, it's not doing anything to my life. And I just like, like we had said earlier, I don't think this episode, you know, shoved it down our throats or anything like that. It was a very well told story. And I just, 
think that we should learn from this. I would hope, you know, I, I really hope that people who watch this episode are like, wow, like this is scarily like what's going on right now. Yeah, I, I actually got a lot of uh, parallels and connections to a traveler with themes of, um, you know, colonialism oh, and, and yeah. immigration there in the sense that it's kind of like what Peel says at the end. We all start from somewhere. We all have a point of origin. We're all immigrants and denying that takes away our true identity. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. We shouldn't be afraid of where we came from. We shouldn't have to have others be afraid of that either. And, you know, that we should be embracing that we should embrace the different cultures that we have we should love the fact that we are a melting pot we should not want some sort of singularity there and i think that's kind of what i also gathered from this episode in addition to what everyone has already said because i think immigration is a good thing and it's what caused this you know this country to exist this is why you know america was this great place and i say was in the past tense because right now it's a little rickety but still Best place, probably the best country to be in in, in, in this fucked up <laughs> world, but it could be better. And we just have to embrace the different, you know, multiculturalism. That is such a key component to humanity. And I think this episode really stresses that. And if you don't get it uh, and you don't, you're not hip to that, get out of here. <laughs> you're the one that should be leaving if you're not hip to it. Um, but anyway. Um, that is, uh, uh, what you call contradictory and also hypocritical. So I apologize. But, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what I get from there. And I guess that leaves one question who won and we'll do these rounds, these next two rounds very short. And I got one I got one answer, I guess America. Does anyone disagree? Yeah. I wrote the government, <laughs> yeah. which I think you is synonymous with America at this point. Yeah. America. Fuck. Yeah. You know, clearly if you are the type of person who um, thinks as Allendale does, and who thinks as a staggering, unfortunately, number of Americans do, um, a larger number than I think we'd like, to, many of us would like to think, you might see this as, you know, America winning. I see it the opposite. I see it as America ultimately losing, and um, not just losing people that are adding to it, you know, as these people from the dimension are, and people we count on, but also, you know, losing. Uh, a large part of our values, our principles, and the best part of what America is. Oh, I agree in that sense, in the long term, for sure. But I think in this particular chapter, I think the government probably wins this hand, right? <laughs> I ain't mean, flying the flag on my front yard saying, yay, America, though, either. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. no, you're right. I mean, sure, the government uh, is accomplishing their mission. Uh, the sad part is, um, how did we allow this to become their mission? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. But I think that the network kind of wins. Certainly, you're right. The nation is secure for now. Um, so the government wins in that sense. But I do think that Aidia and uh, the other members of the network who are working for this Dimensions people, I think they're making progress. And I think that they're kind of unstoppable. So I think they're going to keep going. And I think Anna probably it all right <laughs> well it leads us to our next section penny for your thoughts it doesn't matter mr pool a man with your ability hearing people's thoughts strange delusion but with proper medical care it will go away miss turner it is not a delusion there you see i can read your thoughts this is a episode filled with many choices what would be yours Eleanor, what would you do if you were in Eve's shoes? I would have made all the wrong choices. I would still be in jail like she is. Mm -hmm. um, I probably wouldn't have challenged the system too much because I usually don't. But I do know 
that it would be every man for himself. And if I did break out, I wouldn't go fucking home. Mm-mm. No, I probably would go to like um, somewhere warm mm. and uh, yeah. maybe like, like oh, a desert. Definitely. Well, I mean, f- first of all, Eleanor, I completely agree. I would have done exactly what you just said. I would have submitted. I like to think I would fight, but I know myself and I don't think I would have even attempted to break out like she does. But if you're asking me what I would do after I broke out and made that choice, I would not have gone back to my family. I would have said, fuck you to Jackie and Isabel and my fucked up husband. And I would have left with Anna and started a life somewhere else with her. Like, that's what I would have done. I would probably go for some ice cream and oh, chill. <laughs> and chill. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, you know, what can I say? It, it seemed like a really convenient uh, alternative. No, I, I'd probably run, you know, but at the same time, I, I, I would probably just wait and be like, I think I'm going to wait this one out and, probably be stuck in a jail cell somewhere but oh well i like the idea of the anna and eve show like where they go out into the real world and anna's like oh my god this bitch doesn't know what she's doing oh my god <laughs> uh, you know it would be like the odd couple or thelma and louise yeah that's what i do i go cross country <laughs> so uh ugh. i guess i guess the biggest decision for me was oh god there's so many but maybe the biggest decision was probably do you go in the ice cream truck or you go with Anna, and I guess as I read the episode, if she had learned her lesson that she wasn't so different, and this was someone who was in the same boat with her, so to speak, I probably would have gone with Anna. I think that would have been what I would have done. Uh, I don't know that like anything is ever good has come from climbing into an ice cream truck when you're not the ice cream man, you know. <laughs> Except maybe the video for what was it today? Today by the Smashing Pumpkins. I yeah, mean, that's if that true. ice cream truck picks me up and I'm James E. Haw and drag, you know, I'm I'm hopping in. But other than that, I am too. Billy Corgan with his little ice cream scooper hat, you know. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I don't think anything happens good getting into a white van or an ice cream truck of any sort. So I'm gonna go see what I can do with Anna, and um, make a go of it. Well, now that we've known what we uh, what we would do in this situation, it's time to share what we thought about the episode as a whole. Like, I agree that was a pretty shitty seg, but this is our <laughs> last section that we call overall thoughts. Now we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good, there are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result. Please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. Here comes the last of it. I wish you every good luck. Who wants to kick this off? Who wants to go first? I'll go. Oh, wow. All right. Um, I fucking loved this episode from the minute it started. I loved the score. I loved the acting, obviously. Like, Jennifer Goodwin. I literally finished the episode and I was like, I hope she gets an Emmy nomination for this because it was just... It was so powerful and hard-hitting. My favorite, I think, uh, Jordan Peele, like, intro and outro. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of cool because he holds the ice cream cone at the end. I know. And I really liked his last line. Uh, He goes, this is no passport to be stamped out of the Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, it just, it stuck with me. Um, The episode, I walked away and it was, like, kind of all I could think about. And that's not something I feel like I've experienced yet um, in this series. So I'm going to go... I'm going to go four out of five doors. I mean, No, fuck that. I'm going four and a half out of five doors. Oh, four, four doors and one ajar. Yeah. I'm going to go with 3.75 doors. I did really like this episode. I thought it was beautiful. It dealt with all the stuff I want it to be dealing with. It had real world 
applications as well as something sciencey and challenging that I don't know enough about to be secure in. <laughs> so it was thought provoking and I really enjoyed that and beautifully shot. I would have loved to see what the next step was. Like, are they going to deport her? If they are, what does that look like? What is the risk to her? But also on a broader scale, what I would love to see from the show is more moral questions because all the other episodes have had sort of good characters and bad characters. And sometimes they go on, on small moral journeys, but it's not like that big question of what would you do in this circumstance like it was in The Comedian. So I'd like to see more of that kind of episode, but this was a really good middle ground. I think Eleanor's right. I think it's one thing we have kind of missed and we haven't brought it up is the actual sort of moral questions. We've thought about what should society be doing, but maybe, but what's this actual character maybe, you know, are they facing some sort of moral dilemma? That, that's an interesting point. Um, I'm As terms of, I mean, this is exactly what I wanted though. I've been asking for it. Can uh, Jordan Peele and um, the Twilight Zone uh, reboot, can they give us a topical episode that um, raises issues and questions there without being sort of, you know, too um, um, ham-fisted, if we want to say, um, hitting us too over the head with it? And can they also deliver, you know, a well-paced, um, great, you know, 40-something minutes of television and, and a story? And I think that uh, this um, finally did it. Um, I love the fact that I think we knew just enough to get us through the story where we weren't just scratching our heads wondering how things happened, but I think it was open to questions, um, which, again, I always love about The Twilight Zone. I love the fact that there were a couple of twists in the story, and I felt they were really well-earned. I think we've seen some twists this series where it's just kind of, oh, that was cute. Um, this is what was going on all along. He was on an operating table or something. All the twists here came out of the story, the the, fall, the false homecoming, where it's really just um, Allendale trying to learn who she is. And then, although we knew she's going to get caught, the second homecoming where we, I don't think, know that that's how her family's going to react. And I think this was, you know, all well-earned, um, both emotionally and, you know, just as a, a narrative story. It's a journey that takes a character from one place to another, and it didn't feel like a waste of time. Nothing in here felt like what you called, Michael, last week, a duh moment. You know, like yeah. we already knew this and I and I appreciate that. So this was as good as anything, maybe slightly better than anything we've seen. So I'm going to give it four and a half doors. <laughs> I think it was that good. Well, I agree with everything that's been said. Uh, I think this is tight. I think this is cohesive. I thought this was timely and yet also timeless. Definitely think it's the sharpest of the season. And it's by far the most convincing argument for this revival yet. Uh, I actually kind of see it as almost um, the flip side of the Wonderkin, uh, where the punchline stabs as opposed to tickles, as it did in that episode. Um, and that that punchline is something I'm still thinking about now, and it's probably something I'll still be thinking about years from now. Um, because really, the lesson can be learned, but as we've seen in our own reality, I don't think it could be resolved, at least not yet. And one can hope it, it eventually does. And that is honestly the best kind of Twilight Zone episode for me. And so for me, it's I this is just so exciting because I was so down on this revival last week that I was just like, oh, God, really? Like, I mean, just really kind of just like, Jesus Christ, like, I don't know, just was a real low point. But this one is a major high point, And I'm going with five first five doors. Oh, wow. I think. Oh, that uh, is the first five doors. I, I was just absolutely overwhelmed by this episode i really loved it i thought that um 
I thought Jennifer Goodwin was just phenomenal. And I agree, uh, Sammy. I thought the, that Peel was just MVP here in the beginning and the end. Um, or at least among his other appearances, this is his best one. Not that he's the MVP in here, because that is definitely Jennifer Goodwin. <laughs> but I even we didn't mention, but like I love how he appears in the re- the reflection of the car, uh, where you could see like the nuclear family sticker. Yeah, I thought that that just was so smart. This episode is very smart, very clever. Again, five doors. So I don't know what that averages out to, but I would say that this might be one of the highest ep- highest rated episodes we've yeah. had. It is. This, this yeah, season, so. we're at four point four three seven five. So Oof. yeah, definitely wow. almost. I like that rating. Almost a universal five. Oh, universal Close. five. But hey, there. we've been speaking a lot about ratings. Why don't you do a, us a favor and rate us? Go over to Apple Podcasts or uh, Podchaser Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Leave us a comment. And then follow us on Facebook and Instagram, the Fifth Dimension Podcast, where you can connect with us. One of us, uh, you know, you can talk to Sammy. That's me. You're, you'll talk to her. I'm you'll there. talk to talk to me <laughs> on uh, Facebook, where I uh, occasionally just share what Sammy's already shared on Instagram. So you'll rather talk to Sammy. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably rather talk to Sammy. But either way, we appreciate it. If you left us some messages or some reviews, please do. Next week. We're going to uh, be talking about the penultimate episode of the season. I don't have the title yet from CBS All Access. No, it's but, not even uh, on IMDb yet. Which is uh, very exciting. Uh, but um, we will be back to talk about that. And yes, also the final episode in the week after that. Very exciting. But uh, until then, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. And we'll be waiting here in the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network.